if you are having hard ons early morning spontaneous erections that means your machine is absolutely fine don't have to worry why are so many white men in america on joe rogan's podcast talking about testosterone replacement therapy should indian men also be looking into it fat and sugar metabolism is linked with testosterone it's not many people understand but you've seen cases where the feeling of sex hurts a guy's penis yes the sensation which should be traveling to your brain as a pleasure turns into a pain i'm assuming a part of your job is also to kind of give sex coaching yes it is male nipples are actually more pleasurable than the female nipples as in male bodies derive more pleasure from the nipples being stimulated than That's a female right. women don't know so they don't do it and men they're hardly bothered because they're bothered more about procreation they are wired in that way you have to do prostate examinations regularly why do so many old men all over the world have to get it removed doesn't it hurt if it hurts the patient the fault lies with the doctor but when you're cutting up penises for a living what more do you understand about it when you see it from the inside i had a gentleman who in a fit of schizophrenia detached his penis it was cut with a blade and thrown into a toilet what This is such an important conversation because a lot of guys are just going through the same performance anxiety problem without hearing this conversation and it is psychological so relax bro Welcome to the latest episode of our medical series on the Ranveer show we've been creating multiple medical and health oriented podcasts in both English and Hindi this one is obviously for the guys mostly it's about men's problems it's about testosterone it's about sexual health it's about the lifespan of your penis you're going to enjoy this episode because it's with one of the country's top urologists dr rajesh taneja this episode is not meant to be watched with your family unless your family is super chill with this kind of conversation it's a lot of fun it's very informative this is dr rt on trs Dr. Rajesh Taneja, maybe my face and my voice is not conveying this, but I'm very excited to talk to you. Uh, the reason it's not I'm not being able to convey my true inner emotion is because we're shooting in another studio. There was a problem in our old studio, but I'm just really glad I'm getting to do a biology podcast, which has now become my comfort zone. So it's great even being in your presence. You're a very chilled out guy. Uh, <laughs> I'll begin by saying thank you for being. so accommodating and uh, giving us time in the middle of this very very busy life that you have thank you so much ranvi for asking me to be here and it's an absolute pleasure the pleasure is entirely mine don't worry okay and we are good to go okay thank you sir um uh, want to begin by asking you about mm. our medical podcast which you have seen mm. so it's a little self obsessed question to begin with and we'll get into deep biology details about surgery surgical stories etc mm. but you've seen some of the doctor podcast that we've done mm. my question to you is a little bit to understand the medical industry a little bit more why is an experienced busy doctor like yourself even watching my medical podcast is there anything you gain from it because when i'm asking questions it's from the perspective of 18 year olds and college students and young professionals who are trying to understand biology more but what is it that you gain from those conversations i liked a few of them and i forwarded them because sometimes it is difficult 
to convey to your nears and dears with whom you live or you talk daily and you try to tell them, okay, there is a gut health that is seen to be, you know, something wrong there and you need to look at it. And things like, you know, there is a discussion about God. So I feel that I'm not the only one who talks or thinks like that. There are others, especially surgeons, who talk like that. Do you think that the process of surgery in the long term, like how many years have you been doing surgery? So, since 1986. So, around almost 40 years. Almost 40 years. This process of doing surgery over 40 years, how does it change a human's mind? As in the human actually doing the surgery. What ends up happening to you? So, the biggest thing is that you should know that me and a cobbler, we both cut the leather or skin and put stitches. The difference is that I cut those stitches after 10 days and the wound heals. It doesn't gape. And in a cobbler's job, even after 10 years, when the stitch is taken out, it opens up. Mm. So there is something which is not in my hand, which helps the healing, which keeps the tissues together. And that power needs to be recognized. No one better than a surgeon will recognize the power of healing and be so much depend upon. Today I'm sitting here, you call me because I am perhaps a successful surgeon. That success is because when I cut and stitch, it heals. Mm. And that healing is unfortunately not in my hands. I'm just taking credit. Mm. So that power needs to be recognized. There's an element of nature in your work? Exactly. That's what we are coming to. Specifically, there's a lot of young brothers watching this podcast because we're going to be talking about penises. Oh, yes, of <laughs> course. Of course. I'm an andrologist. Uh, hmm. Do you think that 30-year-olds, 35-year-olds, and of course, then I'm talking about bros in their 20s as well, do we truly understand the penis? Well, we should. And I think a lot of, you know, People, boys, if they are in a boys' hostel, they are taught whether they like it or not. By other bros. That's right. (laughs) So in our times, there used to be a ragging. So once I joined the medical college, there used to be a ragging. Hmm. And that ragging in a boys' hostel would give, impart so much of, you know, the insight into the organ called penis it's and how differently people would look at it and would ask you to imitate them or whatever for example there used to be a hockey game so that is how it used to be so you needed to play hockey with it wow <laughs> like in like literally you needed yes. to play <laughs> <laughs> so i do not know that kind of ragging doesn't happen now but then so, so, you, so I will suggest that if you want a boy to grow into a man, send him to a hostel, boys' yeah. hostel. True. So basically, everyone had to expose their own hockey sticks in front of the other guys. That was a part of the ragging. And therefore, you understood it more. But when you're cutting up penises for a living, what more do you understand about it when you see it from the inside? So penis has a structure. 
and has a function. So as a surgeon, I can fix a structure. Mm. But as a function, a lot will depend upon how the healing comes, as we've been talking about. For example, I had a gentleman who, in a fit of schizophrenia, detached his penis. It was cut with a blade and thrown into a uh, uh, this thing, toilet. And what? then his brother picked it up oh. somewhere in Kurukshetra. Oh my God. And called me up. I said, you open a bottle of saline from the nearest nursing home, put this into a saline, wrap it with a cold ice and bring it to me. And he brought it and I re-implanted that. And I'm talking about 2000, maybe 1999 or 2000. Did it work after that? Of course it worked. This guy got married and has got two children. Oh my God. But when I was doing that, when I was re-implanting a penis, I wasn't sure whether it would work or not. Okay, one second. I have to ask a very base level question. As you're speaking about this, my body is in pain. <laughs> Did you ever have to get past that as a young surgeon? Uh, see, if you're talking about pain of the patient, if I'm sitting in a chair in my clinic and there's a patient sitting in front of me and he has a pain, unless I feel that pain, I cannot treat him. The only difference between him and me is that he cannot think of a solution and I can think of a solution. I'm trained to think of a solution. But to think of a solution, I need to feel the same pain sitting in my chair, whatever it may be. It may be cancer, it can be injury, it can be whatever disease. So that is my way of working. If I cannot understand or feel the pain, or I cannot treat. How do you deal with it mentally? On for yourself, for your own mind and heart. Does your mental health get affected? Not at all. Not at all? Ever? Never. Never? It gets affected when, so I tell you, if I'm op if I've operated like for this patient, I came back and I slept off. We woke up at one o'clock, was sitting in my drawing room, thinking whether it will work or not. What else could I have done? How would the family feel if it doesn't work? And how would I feel? And tomorrow my residents, my staff, and they would feel that look, our boss has done something which has failed. So that introspection is a constant thing. And my, my wife comes up and says, at three o'clock, what are you doing in this drawing room? And I tell her, look, uh, I'm just uh, introspecting. Initially, she didn't understand, but now she knows what I'm doing. So that we have to go through. If I don't go through it, so perhaps I'm gathering enough positive energy and putting it into that penis for it to <laughs> heal or whether I am, you know, kind of um, soothing myself or thinking how next time if I am faced with such a situation, what else could have been done? And that is a perpetual path of evolution and progress in my, my skill. Let's talk about this surgery a little bit more because... You spoke about skill and even the pain you're actually talking about, the mental health related trouble you faced on that evening. It's much more to do with your skill than to do with that guy's penis and his pain in terms of you're putting pressure on yourself as a perfectionist, as an athlete, that how could I have played a better innings, right? As a surgeon. You're seeing it very surgery centric. Uh, my question to you is a little bit like, 
more personal in terms of when I am hearing this, it's hurting my body. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people <laughs> listening to this podcast, guys who are going through the same thing. They're very conscious of their own body parts right now. So there's never been that angle. You've never seen. No, that doesn't happen to us. Okay. Because I'll tell you for two reasons. Mm. One, the first day of our medical college is anatomy. And we are into a dissection hall where there are tables of cadavers, dead cadavers preserved cadavers, and you are cutting through them and seeing each nerve, each muscle, each artery, each vein, bone, whatever. This is MBBS. That's MBBS. The mm. first day that you join MBBS, wow. you enter the dissection hall. That is the anatomy class. And we are all toppers from our various schools that reach there to that level. And we see people fainting there. <laughs> Did you faint? Never. So I will tell you a small story if you allow. So there was this guy who was a very hefty guy and he was a he was the hockey captain of our class team in college. Third year, we were posted in labor rooms. Yeah. So we used to take deliveries. So we were at the end of our MBBS, we are supposed to take deliveries because MBBS means you're a doctor, you're posted in a post and you're supposed to look after at least the deliveries at minimum. So we are posted in the... Uh, labor room and we are standing like this four boys like this in a gynecology labor room ward and there is a sudden gush of blood and the baby comes out and we hear a thud and this is a 95 kg man standing with me 20 year old boy he he's on the floor <laughs> because he could never do it but now he's a neurosurgeon in United States Wow! but that was his first experience with blood but I think if you tell me, if you allow me, I'll tell you a story why I'm like this. So I was in class seventh and I, we were taken to the biology lab and there was a jar which was empty. There were a few jars which were empty and I asked the biology teacher, I was in class seventh. I said, why are these jars empty? They said, because we don't have specimens enough. So if you bring some specimen, I'll put it here. So I said, fine. I went home. I couldn't sleep. I said, what kind of specimen can I bring to my teacher? Because I loved my school. I loved my biology. I loved everything. So next day when I was going, actually, the school was in an Air Force compound and I was from coming from outside. So I entered the Air Force compound and I saw a few guards standing on the, on the roadside and with this long stick and they were killing a cobra. So way back in 1974, 75 or maybe. So I looked at it. I said, what are you going to do with this? It was a six feet long cobra. So they said, what will I do? We will just throw it and some bird will come, some eagle or crow or whatever would eat it and go. I said, can, you, can I take it? He said, yes, you can. So I picked up the cobra with the tail. I was standing tall, four, six four feet, six inches with a Mm. cobra, six foot long. And I went to the school. So I was the center of the activity in the school. So there (laughs) were all the boys, girls standing there and I'm holding the cobra in my hand. And suddenly, and I'm asking for, where is the biology teacher? I brought a specimen for her. (laughs) And suddenly somebody comes and slaps me. And I look back and I look at my revered principal standing there, a very nice gentleman. He's no longer there. His son was a friend of mine. And he said, what are you doing here? I said, sir, Balji Madden told me that we need a specimen. So I brought a specimen. She said, suppose this is alive. 
I said, no, no, they have killed it. You don't know. And then the peon brought the jar and we put it in and the lab assistant put the formaldehyde into it and it started moving. Yes. It was alive. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm that kind of a person. How do you expect me to faint with the sight of blood? <laughs> From real cobras to metaphor cobras. We got to get back to the subject matter though. Yes. Sorry for the long no, answers. No, it's great. But this then... is what podcasts are, sir. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you about that same surgery again. Yes. That one yeah. where the guy cut off his own penis mm. yeah. and threw it in the commode. Commode. That's right. Okay. You told the relative to put it in saline water and put it uh, in a bag of ice. That's right. So it stayed fresh. It didn't rot. Uh, parallelly, I'm assuming that that guy's body was bleeding a lot from down there because there's so, a lot of blood vessels. That's right. So they uh, tied it. I told them to tie it, make a bandage because they went to the nearest nursing home and somebody just tied it and put a bandage. We have what is called Dynaplast, which is a very stiff plaster and it has an elastic thing. So just put it and it sticks and it just holds on. So that's how he came. What about his balls? They were intact. Nothing? He didn't do anything there? No, he didn't. So he used a you know, the old style shaving blades, they have two edges to right. that blade. Oh my God. So he used that kind of blade. And he would have like cut it like a piece of wood. Oh God. Did you ever ask him why? Like what was in his He head? was not in this state of uh, mind to answer those because nobody in senses would do that. So he was under treatment for schizophrenia. So he was basically going through some kind of a brain situation. That's right. Which was making him hallucinate or something that He must him. have been angry with himself. He may have, I do not know the story, but he may have been following a girl who may have got married, so he thought this is useless. This is the simplest plausible explanation for something like this. I think a lot of guys associate the self-belief with their penises. That's right. Right? That's absolutely I think men right. in general do. That's right. At some age they do. And then after a point you realize, oh, life no, is no. much more than this. That's true. But then at that age, they have nothing else to compare. How old was he? He was uh, 24, I think, at that time. Okay. Now, as a surgeon, hmm. that guy's fully wrapped up. You get a bag of ice with his cobra inside it. How do you figure what the first step is in fixing? You give that guy anesthesia. Of course. He's then, taken in for anesthesia. We open the dressing under anesthesia, ready to clamp any vessel that bleeds or spurts because penis is a very vascular organ. So it oozes blood. It is supposed to take a lot of blood. The blood supply is there. So the moment you open up, there will be a you know, fountain. A fountain of blood. Literally right. a fountain? It is, it is. It is actually. So he, when he was lying down, there's like blood squirting out. So we just hold it. We have our technique to hold it. So what we do is we just, we have a kind of uh, instrument. We call it an artery forceps. We keep it ready. The moment it opens, we clamp it. It's like a plug, like... No, the... it is like a cl clip, like a ah, hair clip. Suppose okay. something like that. So you got just it, clip it. You're talking about the hole that was left in place of the penis. No, no, no. The individual arteries that are bleeding. Oh my God. So you have to go in and just... Just hold them. Hold them with each of them. Then repair them. But there's been a protocol in the world of penis surgery where these kind of situations have happened earlier where someone's penis gets cut off. Very rare. And um, there were one 
report from Australia where it was reported that this has been but then later on you know on though in those days we didn't have we didn't have the computers we didn't have those uh, so many web internet to search and i also moved on into more cases okay Let, let's talk about this specifically i'm just trying to understand your world a little bit more uh, so you clamp up yes. all the blood vessels yes. then what's the surgical protocol so the next is to wash that remove all the dirt wash it generously because you don't want any infected there infected material and then we have an antibiotic solution so multi uh, or what you call um, a wide spectrum antibiotic solution so there was amikacin or another uh, ciprofloxacin solution that we made and added streptomycin at that time we had a lot of streptomycin with us so we used those things made a solution dip that organ there made sure that it kills all the germs fortunately this penis is has a it has a cavity which is filled with blood that is how it gets erected so that is all open it is like a sponge so it's actually like a sponge so when you put it into that solution it absorbs all those water that the solution of antibiotics and it was washed and then slowly stitch we we stitched each artery and vein and the layers of the penis the urethra the urinary tube because that is also transected through which the urine passes so the penis has a, a structure like this it has two corpora cavernosa two bodies like this which cause erection and the third body houses the urethra the passage of urine so it is cut it is actually three structures in a transverse section three pipes you can say that there are two cylinders and a small pipe called urethra which is housed in a spongy tissue so that it can when it erects it has a capability of lengthening elongating and widening and other things so the surgical protocol was you basically refix the pipes exactly that's it plumbing plumbing you're plumbing <laughs> <laughs> so somebody asked me what kind of doctor are you so i say i'm the plumber of the trade wow love it <laughs> i'm a urologist so i deal with the reservoir i deal with the valves i deal with the conduit so okay how long was the surgery so that lasted four and a half hours four and a half hours to stitch up one pipe at a time etc etc if the same surgery was happening in 2024 how long would it have taken it would have taken maybe a little uh, shorter because now we have the availability of microscopes at that time i used loop but otherwise now we have microscopes so you have a much finer instruments you have much finer uh, suture material the threads to stitch so th that makes things easier um i've had two surgeries in my life fortunately not on the cobra but on my shoulders uh for some judo injuries and they were pretty intense so you had to stay in hospital for like 3 4 days and all that the surgeon comes and meets you post um the surgery and just gets an update in terms of how you're feeling and all that if the listeners have not gone through surgery let me have a shot at describing what it's like when you are operated upon have you been operated upon for anything yes 
Okay. So please correct me if I'm wrong and if you have another experience. But you totally know when you wake up from surgery there's two things that happen. One for me I've had three surgeries totally in my life. I've hallucinated every time. Because of the anesthesia. You see hallucinations? Okay. Fair. You know I want to know about this also. The second thing is you totally know that your body has been cut open and something has happened inside. You can you're very conscious of that body part. You kind of feel like there's a fluid build up inside. You're hallucinating. You do feel a little sick almost. You feel like ah oh, something's wrong. You know you get maybe a little fever etc. Um two questions you. One, tell me about this specific guy because there's also schizophrenia mixed in. So when he would have woken up, I don't know what would have been going on in his own head because what if he had woken up in his normal personality and realized that his schizophrenic personality had cut off his penis. So what was that experience like talking to him? Secondly, what was your mentality? Mm-hmm. Third, was he in pain? So I'll tell you. I'll answer all the three questions. The first is that my mentality, I'll tell you, was that he shouldn't cut it again. So we needed to put restrainers. Oh so we put God. restrainers with the thing. The second was to give some kind of injectable uh, psychotropic drugs, which keep him calm. Because Morphine? this was, uh, they're different ones. So some kind of haloperidol is something which is which is what we used in him. Serenase is the trade name, and we also were very clear in getting a psychiatrist evaluating him immediately after he woke up, and he was fortunately, you know, before he came to us, he had been administered. something like a painkiller with a psychotropic effect so he was calm when he came to us and he was willing for a surgery which was extremely rare to find i was thinking that he would be fighting when he came but he did not so he he was actually he submitted himself for the repair that was the best thing that could have happened on that day and next day morning when i'm talking to him and we don't broach the topic i don't ask him why did you do it my job is to go and tell him only positive i said i went and told him look you are absolutely fine you are young again so don't even think that something has gone wrong you haven't done anything wrong there was something that went wrong and i fixed it and in all probabilities it will work so don't even think and what would you like to eat <laughs> so chole bhature so something like that so that is the whole idea when you are actually looking at the patient he's into a lot of trouble you need to distract him from feeling pain and discomfort and the best thing that i find is you offer them what they want to eat for example it's a kid we get an ice cream for him or a chocolate for him if he's an adult if he's a punjabi we tell him chole bhature so we tell them what do you want to eat so that is the thing and once you offer something to it so then he knows that yes i am at home hmm i have arrived because that's when the body can begin healing that's right positivity is the extremely important thing see we started with the talk that i said that there's a power that heals that power is driven away by negativity and is brought in by positivity my job after the surgery i've done my job as a car craftsman but my job is to make sure that it heals and the way it heals is 
that the person has to be absolutely positive. So I go to the room, I crack jokes, I talk about the weather, I talk about his other things and I make him walk and I talk about what he wants to eat. What was he saying about this whole thing? Did he, did he address it at all? Yes. So before he was discharged, I told him that, look, you did something which you shouldn't have done. And I'm sure you understand that. He said, yes. And I told him, look, I have been able to fix it. God has been very kind to both of us. But make sure that you protect it. Because it is your responsibility to protect it. And it is no longer yours because you have cut it and thrown it. It is my penis that I am handing it over to you. So this is mine. And I am giving it to you to protect it. Will you do that? He said yes. And that's how it is. You know, when we make a mistake professionally, my protocol is always you go back to the mistake, you understand why it's done and you respond to the situation. I'm assuming that his mistake was that he didn't take his psychiatric medication. Therefore, he went into that aggressive phase. Right? That's the mistake. Most likely, yes. So your call to action to him was, listen, just take care of your brain first because this might happen again. Correct? Okay. The other question that I have for you related to the same case is, the penis has a lot of nerve endings. That's why it's a sex organ in the first place. Mm -hmm. Now you can repair the pipes, you can repair the skin, etc. How do you ensure that the nerves also get repaired? Because he's cut through the nerves also. Mm -hmm. So did he even have sensation? He did. So body is great. Nature is great. One of the best computers is the human body. Or any living being on the earth, whether it's plants or animals. They've been bestowed upon by mechanisms which protect them. Life doesn't go easily even if you try to take it off. It's very difficult. We are very tenacious. Life is very tenacious. It's, it's not easy to go. Similarly, you know, at that time I did not repair nerves because I didn't have the microscope or something. But... The nature grows. There's something called nerve growth factor. That is there. So whenever the nerve is cut, the nature brings in what is called nerve growth factors. The vascular growth, VGF and NGF. And these are the growth factors which perpetuate. And he was young. He was 24. Is this like a precursor to nerve tissue? Yes. So it allows the nerves to grow. So the nerves will start growing here. There are nerves here. Because they are vascularized, they don't die, but the structure is there. So these nerves will come and they will find another nerve and get into it. So they'll bridge. The only problem is if something like that happens to your main switch. So when you switch on the fan, it is the light that switched off. So that can be cross-connection. Oof! Beyond that, nothing else. Which means the sensation which should be traveling to your brain as a pleasure turns into a pain. Oh my that God. That is the only thing that we have to be worried about. Because the nerve, instead of connecting to the same pleasure receptor, connects to a pain receptor maybe. That's right. Oh, so what happened in his case? He was fine. So he nothing fine. went wrong? No, he had sexual activity after that. He produced two children. But you've seen cases where the feeling of sex hurts a guy's penis. Yes. Which is exactly a situation like this where the nerve is actually joining with the pain receptor. It is actually not post-surgical, but patients who have diabetes or diabetic neuropathies or a neuropathy for another cause. What is neuropathy? 
neuropathy is any disease of nerves is neuropathy okay so a nerve a disease of the nerve so there is a nerve ending which is going into the penis and it is touching the glands and somebody is touching the glands and a pleasurable sensation is going to go back through the nerve but here the nerve is you know under inflammation so it takes that pleasurable sensation into pain so patients keep complaining that there there is a painful pricking sensation in the penis and that is uh, that's very usual i see it very often once in a fortnight in a diabetic man so it's something that gets created over time it is injury to the nerve there is inflammation to the nerve due to a diabetic diabetes. body diabetes it's important to take care of your health that's right like Absolutely. it can even affect you down there yes imagine just overnight one day you wake up and the same feeling that was giving you pleasure once upon a time now gives you serious pain that's right oh my next time you're thinking of having that cake <laughs> just <laughs> just think of this moment from this podcast oh my god sir yeah. um all right uh i want to talk a little bit more about this nerve tissue situation from a biological perspective okay yes now the process of sexual activity is meant to be pleasurable that's right right that's right uh and that pleasure happens because of pleasure based nervous pathways that's right right so mm. if you're in the act of sex your penis is sending back a pleasure based signal to your brain that this is good do it now that's nature's way of procreation so that yes. you create kids and of course then people use sex as recreation also for the same reason uh my question is why aren't nerves like that present in your hands mm. okay or maybe the other question i want to ask is you know how okay comparing it to the female body girls have more pleasurable points points guys usually just have one but the truth is and we had a, a sexologist also on the show long ago she said that actually even guys have pleasurable points but lots of men don't even know that certain points are pleasurable because they've not exploded sexually now i'm actually asking you this both from a sex perspective and a biology perspective so the same pleasure based nerves pathways that are present in the penis are they also present on say your back your ear lobes your neck yes and is different for different men like based on their biology that's why it is being loved in those points gives you pleasure see if you look at a sensation there are various sensations which we are taught as mbbs students so sure. there is a touch pain temperature vibration these are the pressure these are the five sensations that the nerves are supposed to take touch is a sensation which is which can be always pleasurable unless it is a rough touch so we are talking about touch we are not talking about pressure pain or pinch or something so it is about your brain being wired for example i'll give you an example so when you are with your loved ones and she is touching you wherever she touches you it is going to give you pleasure whereas suppose you are standing uh, in in a crowded place and somebody touches you you may just slap him <laughs> the touch remains the same it is about the wiring and the final interpretation in our cerebral cortex right what because the touch is going to go into the cerebral cortex for processing 
And after the processing, the brain decides or your psyche or your wiring decides how to react to it. You can derive pleasure out of it or you can, you know, derive offense out of it and react accordingly. So somebody rightly said whatever you mentioned was right that the male nipples are actually more pleasurable than the female nipples. As in male bodies derive more pleasure from the nipples being stimulated. Than That's right. That's right. So it is only that women don't know, so they don't do it. And men, they're hardly bothered because they're bothered more about procreation. They're wired in that way. I think for men and women, at least what I've understood based on all the people we've had on the show and conversations with friends, I think sex is very different as an activity. I think for a lot of men, it's just about the final result. That's it's just right. about the uh, final orgasm and both for themselves and their partners. Like the, there are guys who actually care about the partner's orgasm also and who prioritize that in sex. Often girls will say that these are the best kind of male sex men, partners. Yeah. But the actual fundamental key differences for men's sex is about the orgasms, their, theirs and their partners. Uh, but for women, it's about the whole process. They That's care right. about even like the conversation you have before the sex uh, as, I mean, the whole process is prioritized much more than the final orgasm. That's absolutely right. But there must be some biology in this also. You know, of like, course. Like I, in terms of, I, I would just assume e- either girls are more in sync with their own nervous system or girls have more nerve endings. Like they say the olfactory system of a woman is much more developed. That's why they can smell perfumes like much more deeply and they can pick up on scents much more easily. But I'm sure this spreads across the body. There's got to be some biology. Yes. So you've asked so many questions in one statement. I need to answer each of them. (laughs) Sorry, I'm called a professor. So I'm supposed to dissect out each statement each way and go. Go for it, sir. So first thing you said is that it is the behavior which is different from men and women. If you go back to, say, thousands of years in the cave era, Men were supposed to go hunting. It would take one day, two days, five days, seven days, but they would come back with a bounty. They would give it to the woman. Woman would divide it amongst the children and make sure that the neighboring woman's child doesn't come and eat that. That is how the cave was. Men needed to procreate. They had little time at home. So they would procreate. So men are wired to have sex quickly, ejaculate and go, finish. Women on the other hand, imagine that the man, he, her man is away for a hunt. If she's easily stimulated into sexual activity, there will be so many men who can come and do that to her. So as a protective thing, the these women are wired in such a manner that they need to be stimulated at more than one center, maybe multiple centers before they are ready for sex. So, and biologically, does this mean more nerve endings in other body parts? That's right. So they're all together. Only then she would want somebody to have sex. Hmm. For example, if you you understand what a quickie means, Hmm. a man is always ready for a quickie. Hmm. But the woman would re- would resist. And it actually boils down to the nervous system. Yes. 
and this the reason why that is like that i've just told you the reason why it is difficult to get a woman to sex for that reason because she needs to be wired the the ambiance should be good if there is dirt around or the house is in disorder or it is smelling bad you know as you mentioned olfactory eye ear everything only then a woman would be ready for sex hmm that is why you have to woo a woman because that is the biology of a woman i'm assuming a part of your job is also to kind of give sex coaching yes it is could you encapsulate that in five points for like what do you usually tell guys so in, i'll tell you in, in india especially you yeah, know we are talking okay we have so many things but i'll tell you one this you just mentioned about men who are worried about their orgasm and the partner's orgasm so there are couples who come to me and they said that look uh, i they are trying for a baby and the gynecologist has said that we must have sex on these two days 14 to 16 days of our period but during those two days i can't have an erection so what is there so you have to understand that it is a pleasurable act so when you make a pleasurable act as an act of performance that means you are taking away the pleasure out of the man is pressure so you are taking away the pleasure so the glans penis is supposed to get stimulated it goes to the mind and mind sends the signal for the erection to persist and gets more stimulated and again it goes back to the mind and brain and it gets another stimulus to stay erect but what happens if you are not thinking about that pleasure so you are you say pleasure to bhar mein gaya so mm. you are not worried about the pleasure so sorry, so the boy is worried about ovulation ovulation time fertilization so there's no pleasure no so mm. he's doing a performing a duty so when you take away the pleasure the performance goes and then he's into a vicious cycle so there is a poor performance and then there is a guilt because the woman is going to come out and say what the hell have you done you spoiled my evening and you've not been able to fertilize my eggs then he goes into depression and from depression he then takes some courage and again approaches the woman for sexual activity but then in the back of his mind he has pre performance anxiety which happens to a lot of, every guy i've ever spoken to has gone through the situation so pre performance anxiety will reduce the performance and the whole vicious cycle the four things the poor performance guilt and depression and pre performance anxiety and then poor performance so it's a vicious cycle so most of these people come to us like that we had dr vijayant on the show uh, on the hindi version of the podcast we spoke about this in detail and the basic outcome was you actually need the partner in this case to be encouraging verbally yes. just say it's okay and give comfort give nurturing uh sometimes it even takes a few months for a guy to get out of that anxiety performance anxiety cycle mm-hmm. but once he's out he's out forever so you actually need the girl to give verbal cues and say it's okay be calm etc is that what you've seen so in- i'll come to this sure so this cycle vicious cycle published under my name in 2007 journal of sexual medicine this is when i published this so there are two situations when the couple comes to me in this situation there is a woman 
who is very harsh. So she's like a principal of the school. And there's a boy who can't answer what is 2 plus 2. Because mm. if he answers wrong, he's going to get a stick. Now tell me, how can this man have erections with this woman in this situation? So you are absolutely right. We need to, in such a situation, counsel the woman. So many times women would understand. But in today's time, I'm talking about 2024, in the last 20 years perhaps, women have changed. They have their rights. They are aware of their rights. Last week only I had a patient in whom the woman said that, look, we are married only for a year. I have the whole life with me. I'm going to divorce him. There are couples who have been together since, say, mid-school, high school. And they never had sex. They get married and the boy is not able to perform and the woman leaves him. Now, you need to find out. So what I do is I put them together and I ask the woman, do you want to patch up or do you want, don't want to patch up? So if you want to patch up, the first step is the very first step that I accept is that you have come all the way, taken my appointment, sitting in front of me means that you want to patch up. So if you want to patch up, then we are willing to work. My problem is that you are sitting with me for 15 minutes, but next time you're going to come after a week, but you have one week minus 15 minutes to be with him. So I can't do everything in 15 minutes. I'll take one step. You perhaps have to take 99. So unless you're willing to take those steps, I can't treat you. And this is very important. So this is the counseling to the woman. There are women who will say, okay, I'm willing to do that. There are women who would say, to hell with it. So we have both kinds. You know, all kinds make this work. Apart from this, there is a pharmacological agent that I use. So before I go to the pharmacology, I'm not going to be a proponent of alcohol. But alcohol inhibits the inhibitions. Hmm. Inhibits the inhibitions. So if you ask these couples, the couples that you are talking about, that if they have a drink or two, just a drink or two, they would perform much better. But if they have six drinks, then there's a problem. Mm. That's what the Shakespeare said. Alcohol will increase desire and reduce performance. But first, 30 to 60 ml, it inhibits the inhibitions. And that is exactly what we need. So we need to titrate that. I'm not a proponent of alcohol. But you will see that your friends who can take it, who do take it, tell them to limit the drinks and you see the difference. The second is, we have a pharmacological agent which inhibits the inhibitions. So I use that and it works. So there's a tablet, it's a very cheap tablet. It's actually 1950s old tablet. Nobody uses it these days. I, it's an antidepressant. Nobody uses because we have wonderful antidepressants or R&D and other newer medicals. I use it because it has a side effect that it causes erection. What's the name? Trazodone. So the side effect of this drug is erections. So I use the side effect. 
So that I'm, is I'm how. visualizing a depressed guy in the 1950s taking an antidepressant and then <laughs> that is how it was found. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. If you look at the pharmacology book, so we read what is called Lawrence Pharmacology, and there's a story about it. There was this banker who went and reported this. Damn. So we are we are evolving. So that's how it is. It's kind of sad about like his life, and suddenly <laughs> out of the blue, it's like what? So when I was doing my third year MBBS, when we are taught pharmacology, that was the day I realized that we, I will use this molecule once, and I did that, and I'm still doing it. Mm. Published it in journals, Sexual Medicine, 2007. So that's how it is. Yeah. And sometimes I think in situations like that, like I've had so many bros of mine confide in another brother. That's what you do because mm. you don't know who to talk to. Exactly. So a lot of bros come and say, "Listen, I'm having this issue." in most of the cases 99% of the cases the guy is usually anxious about his job he's an anxious guy in general that anxiety is making its way to the bedroom and as a bro all you tell him is listen it happens to every guy chill and it'll be a phase that you'll get past just you need your partner to support you if that partner supports you you can go through a lot exactly that's the bottom line here that is the bottom line the partner has to be important person I take the fees. I take the credit, but the treatment has to be done by the partner. Very clear. Mm. Um, in India, especially, what other kind of sex coaching do you need to give people? Because this problem is actually very common. What we just spoke about, mm. uh, performance anxiety. Is performance anxiety the most common? Yes. So I will tell you that. Uh, I will give you the history of the what is written in the books. So in 1980s. it was thought till 1980s it was thought that 90% of erectile dysfunction i am quoting western literature sure 90% of uh, erectile dysfunction is functional that is this means there's nothing wrong with the organ mm. and 10% is there is a problem with the organ for example diabetes or something which is what we spoke about the pain that's right so diabetes causes prob sclerosis or fibrosis or obstruction of the blood vessels so that there's no blood supply it causes inflammation of the nerves so that there is no sensation there is no blood supply there is no sensation so organ has to you know it's eventually cannot perform diabetes is basically like it's eating your body from the inside that's right it's a dreadful disease go on so 19 till 1980s the western literature talked about 90% being uh, functional we call it or psycho psychogenic and 10% being organic means there's a problem in the organ and 1980s we started having what is called penile implants so the literature in 2010 would tell you that 90% is organic and 10% is psychogenic that's a western literature so how does it change obviously i'm not blaming anybody but then there are forces which are industry driven and imagine it is easier for me to treat a couple like this by putting an implant rather than trying to convince the lady that you have to be supportive please correct me if what i'm going to say is wrong what you're effectively saying is there are lots of problems related to sex all those problems boil down to erection or the lack of it in most cases it's actually psychological whether guy is just feeling anxiety what we just spoke about but there's a lot of money to be made in this industry by 
the pharma companies and by people who make implants therefore they push for research that suggests that if you're having trouble getting an erection you either get an implant or you take a medicine for it is that what you're trying to say absolutely right absolutely so i'm coming to i'll give you a small story sure so i used to go for an after i started my practice i used to go to a place 500 kilometers from new delhi and i used to conduct an opd there and there was a big army cantonment there so one day there was this um, soldier who came and saluted in a very crisp uniform and he said sir i am going on leave tomorrow i said that's very good you should go then this young soldier tells me that sir but i don't have erection i said how do you know are you with your family here he says no my family is back home and i'm going to go and face my wife but i have lost my erections so i said how do you know that you've lost erections so he said i was guarding my commanding officer's luggage on the railway platform and there was this sadhu who was sitting across the railway line and he called me and he held my uh, wrist and told me he he actually palpated my pulse and told me that tera to khada nahi hota means you don't have erections and from that day onwards i stopped having erections now you must understand we were talking about psychogenic and organic in united states if somebody tells a united states army soldier that you are not having erections the first reaction will be he'll punch his face <laughs> in india we are so vulnerable to suggestions by so called sadhus or revered uh, religious people that whatever they say is gospel truth and we are willing to make ourselves vulnerable and accept that suggestion so this is a damage by suggestion a psychological damage by suggestion so this guy says no sir that sadhu baba has told me it will not happen so it is not happening so give me do something for me otherwise i am going to die because my wife is not going to accept me so coming back to the story of the psychogenic versus organic so we have so many reasons for having psychogenic impotence what did you do for that soldier give him something no no i there are ways so what we do is i talk to him i gave him that tablet called trazodone because i knew that it is just i have to inhibit that negative thought so inhibit the inhibition so inhibition of sex is a negative thought so you inhibit the inhibition and i we this is a test so we put what is called a vasoactive substance and we put it into the penis with a small fine needle inject and he has an erection because this is vasogenic okay. so vasogen you, you did that to him we, i did it so that he sees that it is erect i said look your organ is fine mm. you have absolutely no reason go home and enjoy mm. he smiled saluted and went back that's uh-huh. all he never seen him again did he have a boner when he went away <laughs> 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 genuine question he walked no, out no no we tell them we, they cannot walk out like this they have to masturbate ejaculate and i have to see that the erection has come down because i have created the erection it is my responsibility to see that the erection doesn't last longer enough to cause a damage to the organ because persistent erections are causing damage to the organs 
Okay, now go on. You're talking about the studies. Yes. So I was trying to tell you that the distinction between psychogenic and organic erections. So the psychogenic organ erections, obviously we in India have a lot of issues which create a lot of psychogenic erections. For example, I just talked about suggestion. I talk about, you know, friends talking in the school or college or high school that, look, you've had a girl, you've had a girl. You Then they tell, okay, you don't have, man, you haven't had sex as of now. My God, you must be useless. So this guy becomes useless. Mm. Then he has a guilt. That, oh my God, perhaps I'm not good enough with a woman. That's why no girl comes near me. Near me. That, that's how it is. So he is actually, you know, he's, he's drowned in his own guilt and he will never have an erection. So he is a kind of introvert in that matter. So we have a lot of people like that. They come to us. So many times newly married people with arranged marriage will come. The, the girls' parents, the four boys' parents, they're all there, four people there, two these. And uh, when I talk individually to each partner, I ask this to the boy, what is your what is wrong with you? I said, sir, honestly, I can tell you, I've never touched a girl and I'm scared to have to touch her. And her presence makes me so nervous that I can't have an erection. And this is not something that I'm talking about uh, a story. This happens more often than you can think of. Mm. Okay. So then I have to just tell the girl that you're very lucky to have a boy like this. I have to tell the parents that your boy is absolutely fine. I'll give him something and he'll be fine. No more tests. Mm. Now, I, coming, don't, I don't get how parents get involved in this. <laughs> like, no, they do. In India, so India is a very unique country. I just gave you an example. Nothing like this can happen in any other country. That somebody sitting across a railway line will call you and tell you that you don't have erection. You stop having erections. Mm. So that's a suggestion that we are vulnerable to. So what is my practice? My practice is very simple. So how do you differentiate between psychogenic and organic erections? The very simple. So if I ask one question, that when you wake up in the morning, do you have hard-ons or not? So if you are having hard-ons early morning, spontaneous erections, that means your machine is absolutely fine. Until Don't have to worry. Till what age? Any age. So even when you're 50, 60, 70, you still get hard-ons in the morning? The frequency decreases. A lot depends upon testosterone. You cannot decide what is the age at which you will go bald. Can you have an age? No. At what age will you have a gray hair? Do you have age? No. So it is not like that. This is individual. So those people who exercise and continue to exercise, their testosterone is high. So whether it is a male or a female, somebody who is a sports person is likely to have a higher sex appetite because the testosterone, even in female in that case, is high. And the role of testosterone in females is sexual activity, mm. which not many people know. Mm. So for example, somebody got a Viagra for men, they say somebody who discovers a Viagra for women will be multimillionaire. Why? I just told you, to get a woman to bed, you have to touch all the points. There are so many things. So it is difficult to get a woman to arouse. So women have an, they, they have a slow arousal as compared to men. There's also an art to it which many guys refuse to learn. That's okay. But suppose instead of learning that art, there is a tablet. 
that you put in. Okay. So that tablet, imagine how much it is going to. You just have to give that tablet to the woman and she's with you. So the point is that there is a different biology. But in men, if you have erections which are spontaneous, which are morning erections, then first thing is clear. I need no more tests. Your organ is fine. There's only a disconnection between your organ and the brain. Mm. So basically, your organ has a mind of its own. It will erect, but not with your efforts or your wish so it has its own wish and command not it is it's not under your command mm. so there's a disconnection and we need to sort that out so Which we sort it out in most cases a psychological that's been that's the underlying right. theme right. here that's right this is such an important conversation because a lot of guys are just going through the same performance anxiety problem a lot of guys without hearing this conversation that it is psychological I want to actually talk a little bit about testosterone also. Yes. Because if you truly focus on increasing your resting levels of testosterone, I would assume that problems like this performance anxiety and all won't arise as much. Uh, because testosterone is linked to so many other positive functions of the body also. I think it is a hormone that should be spoken about more. And every man at least should be educated on how to increase his testosterone levels. So I'm going to have a go at it. Please add stuff to it and this is based on an episode of Dr. Huberman that I researched upon for the sake of an elaborate testosterone Hindi video that I'd done it boils down to the basics clean food high protein intake lots of movement ideally a competitive sport that's been like a recent study uh, all these things over time compound and generally your testosterone levels stay good up till the age of 50 and right now in America, for a lot of guys post-50, this has become a very common conversation that they do something called TRT, which is under the guidance of someone like yourself, testosterone replacement, replacement therapy. Um, before I ask the doctor for his inputs, I need to tell the audience that again, all the doctors we've spoken to, the lifestyle factors are effectively the same. And you guys know all these lifestyle factors. It's exercise, clean food, etc. The only added factor here is a competitive sport. If you're able to play a competitive game of football once a week, basketball, cricket, where you want to win, for some reason that's shown an increase in testosterone. Anything else you'd like to add, sir? Yes. So, testosterone is the food for the body. So, suppose you're not utilizing it. Body stops producing it. So either use it or lose it. And you use it by exercising? Yes. So what does the body mean? Why, why should you have a testosterone and a woman shouldn't have a testosterone? What does testosterone do to you? It gives you muscle, broad shoulders, strong bones. What are they supposed to do? You're supposed to exercise with them. You're supposed to go fight. You're supposed to go to war. You're supposed to go to hunt, swim. So if you don't do that, you're not using your testosterone. So the body, there is a, as I said, is a wonderful computer. See, this guy doesn't need it, man. So take it off. In terms of if you're lazy, if you're just sitting at home all day watching TV, your body will reduce your testosterone levels. If you're watching TV, the testosterone reduces faster. Even if you're watching porn? Yes. Okay. <laughs> just, just a thought experiment. Go on. <laughs> because, because you are straining to produce 
to recreate that. Hmm. If you are with a woman, then that job is being done by the woman. Here you are trying to recreate that thing onto yourself. Sure. That is the problem with testosterone. So testosterone has a lot of functions as we just mentioned, muscle, bearing, bone, this, that. And if you don't use it, you will lose it. So how do you exercise? So there is something called basal metabolic rate. Now you have a basal metabolic rate. It is like the RPM, the revolutions per minute of a motor car. So you have an idling car. It has an RPM of 800 to say 1000 RPM. So that, that engine will run and it will consume a certain amount of fuel. So now when you give a raise, it goes to 1500. So the fuel consumption increases. So suppose you are getting up in the morning and you are exercising. So you are revving up your metabolic rate. Your RPM increases from 800 to, 800 to 1000 to maybe 2000 if you are jogging in the morning or swimming in the morning. And during the day, since you are working, you are not coming back to rest, you are going to office or you are going to your work, it stays, the basal rate, it may go up to 200 RPM, 2000 RPM, and then comes down to maybe 1600, 1800, 1400, which is much more than 800 that you woke up with. And then suppose you add on a physical activity, you had to run after something or you had to rush or you had to cycle or you had to do something, it again goes from 1400 to 1800. Now imagine if you had not gone for a, uh, exercise in the morning, you woke up with 800, so you are lingering between 800 and 1000, 800 and 1000 and if I ask you to put an effort, you would be unwilling to put an effort and even if you put an effort, your RPM is not going to go beyond say 1200. Because your basal metabolic rate was 800. Now we add another factor to this thing. So we have a what is called a body clock which runs with sun. So we have the pineal gland, we have the hypothalamus and we have the melatonin and we have the circadian, the circadian rhythm. The luteinizing hormone which is released from the pituitary goes to the testes and increases the testosterone. So there is a peak of luteinizing hormone, releasing hormone from the hypothalamus, which is controlled by the circadian rhythm, which is at 4.30 a.m. So sleep early. In India, in our uh, history or in our mythology or whatever, it is called Bhorkal. That is the, or the, the main time that you have the peak of LHRH or luteinizing hormone, releasing hormone from the hypothalamus. It goes to the pituitary, which is the luteinizing hormone, which goes to the testes and kicks it to produce testosterone. Now imagine you are doing an exercise and an activity when the testosterone peak is there. Mm. So you have an inflow of testosterone, you are using it at that time. So next day morning, the hypothalamus knows this guy needs more testosterone, so it pumps in more. Wow. Now, if you are not doing it, the hypothalamus also thinks this guy is not going to use testosterone, so let it be around 800. His RPM is 800, 1000. So why should I give him another fuel? So there's no testosterone which rises. Coming back to another thing. I'm sorry, it is not against people who exercise at night because they don't have an option. If you don't have an option, you can still exercise. But what is better, morning or evening? 
Suppose at night you come from office and you go for an exercise, you go to the gym and you have revved up your RPM from say 1000 to 2000. After two hours you are going to sleep. Mm. So the advantage that you had during the day that you revved up your uh, RPM to 2000 and it stayed 2000 because you were working. You were running, moving around in the office, anywhere, wherever you are working, you are actually, RPM is still high. Against, you raise it to 2000, go off to sleep in two hours, you, that, that whole effort is gone waste. Technically. You're effectively giving very easy hacks to increase your testosterone. Yes. And the hack is, sleep early, wake up early, work out in the morning. Like Akshay Kumar. That's why his voice is like that. <laughs> the, actually, the way Akshay Kumar lives, eats, goes about life, he's a good representation of a high testosterone male. Yes. I would I would argue. Yes. Right? Like, yes. just healthy living. This is healthy living. There's also a report, I remember, Tiger Shroff spoke about this. He said that he doesn't drink because it shakes up your uh, testosterone levels, even one session of drinking. Yes. So, anything that that puts your RPM to downwards, mm. like alcohol. You can't even balance yourself. Mm. That is the state of your muscles. So your, your RPM may be falling below 800. So obviously the testosterone consumption is not there. The body computer says, oh, this guy doesn't need a testosterone, so stop producing it. Mm. And there is another issue to it. Suppose you have been a football player. So I see a lot of them. So there's this guy. I'll give you a story. It's an interesting story. So there were two people who got married because they used to be playing tennis together. Now they were playing tennis together. They were between 25 and 35 years courtship. Then they say, okay, we get married. We get married. They have a good sex appetite. They have a good uh, testosterone, the both of them. And now this guy is a banker. And at 35, he wants to become the vice president of the company. So he's working very hard. So he's putting in 14 hours on the chair. He stops going to play tennis. His wife, however, continues to play tennis. At 35, two of them come to me together with erectile dysfunction. So what have you found? So you look at him and you see, oh my God, he's got as chubby as what I am. You know. So this guy has become chubby. He has not been playing tennis. The girl is slim like you know, any tennis player you can imagine at 35. Since she is a tennis player, she has a high testosterone, she has a high appetite, which this guy can't match. So he has an impact with psychological thing also because he's not able to match the appetite. So he goes into two things, both a combination of psychogenic erectile dysfunction and an organic erectile dysfunction because when I check his testosterone, his testosterone is low. Why is his testosterone low? Two things. One, his computer says he's not using it, so it reduces. The second is the stress. Stress is huge. So this guy is stressed. He's looking at his, his you know, counterpart, colleague, who may become a vice president, and he wants to reach there, and he doesn't want him to reach there. So mm. round the clock, that stress is there. 14 hours in office, 10 hours at home, 
24 hours a day he is only thinking about one thing how to prevent him from being a vice president so that i become a vice president just to put your point uh, across even more i want to remind the listeners of how they felt during exam season in school you felt a higher level of stress what was biologically happening was that your cortisol levels in your body had increased cortisol is your stress hormone i'm assuming that it's related to your testosterone of course that if you have a higher baseline cortisol in your blood stream it will affect your testosterone certainly Correct? certainly anything you'd like to add to this cortisol angle so two things so if you look at two things one is of course when there is stress there are stress hormones like cortisol apart from that direct effect of cortisol there is an indirect effect on psyche you stop thinking about sex because you're thinking you, about failure yes even if your partner is trying to approach you for sex you stop thinking about it because either you're tired or you're scared of non performance because last time you couldn't perform because while you were performing you suddenly realized that you went sent a mail which the other guy must have sent so doing that that means that he's he's distracted so he stops performing so he's staying away from sexual activity his testosterone is coming down again if you look at people who unfortunately need corticosteroids say for kidney disease or lung disease or something else rheumatoid arthritis they are given steroids they become plump so they gain lot of fat so fat has an enzyme called aromatase now what that does is it converts testosterone into estrogen so whatever testosterone is being produced is being converted into estrogen rapidly in that fat in the subcutaneous fat and the structure of the body becomes more feminine pear shaped so if you remember there was a movie called kabhi khushi kabhi gham and there was this hrithik roshan and there was a child hrithik roshan do you remember that yeah. golu molu people yeah. person who was plump boy what is wrong with that fellow and how he became hrithik roshan so there is a biology transition between that boy and that honestly this this story that you're giving us of hrithik from childhood to actually being muscular hrithik roshan i have seen so many guys my age younger than me go through that st- same story arc of not taking care of their health when they were younger and then eventually in life realizing pretty early on that either they got what's pre diabetes called like yeah that's right so what? they become this this basically pre diabetes only yeah. latent diabetes yeah. and that oh. manifests like for me again same thing i was a judo player very fat but judo player so i was strong uh, but unhealthy on the inside i had gallstones at 16 and i had a gallbladder removal surgery at age 16 so that surgeon very politely told me that you'll die at 25 if you eat this way <laughs> and then that just got me very deep into fitness like at age 16 17 i started running at age 18 i started weight training you know and i've i've really taken care of myself a lot in my 20s a uh, best decision of my life because it changes your personality also thing is that personality change that you go through then applies to your career it applies to your ability to lead etc but biologically speaking what's truly happening here is that your testosterone is high because you're taking care of your body you're sleeping on time you're eating right you're exercising uh and that high level of testosterone genuinely helps your career i truly feel that because it's sort of also called a hormone that's a latent motivator you just feel like going out and achieving more things in the world 
uh i'd like you to begin this next phase of the podcast wherever you like do you want to begin at the rithik roshan part do you want to begin at the personality aspect of testosterone you go for it so i'll touch all of them sure first of all let us uh, beg pardon from rithik roshan because we're <laughs> using his name it is not that it is a character in the movie called uh, laddu <laughs> laddu that's right so consider laddu so he is a he is a golmolu kind of a person and he eats whatever he wants to eat dietary indiscretion and he is very moody and he doesn't want to focus into anything he may be not listening to anybody he would eat whatever he wants to eat and not what he should be eating now when somebody has that kind of a habit it is perpetuated why is it perpetuated because what you are eating sugars they go straight into your gut and then they go there and change the microbiome of your gut in such a manner that you are only feeding the wrong kind of bacteria in your gut and if you see what the story about the bariatric surgery it is not only about making the gut small the stomach small capacity when you do something there the local hormones change and they reduce the fat they reduce the fat absorption they cause some kind of change in the local hormone milieu that the fattening effect of diet reduces so it is not only the direct amount of calories that you are drink taking but it is something else which is happening there and that is related to the the jejunum the gut microbe the jejunum is the small bowel just next to the the upper small bowel or you can say upper small intestine is jejunum and that is the seat of all these hormones the duodenum and the jejunum so coming back to the diet so when you are having a dietary indiscretion like that a lot of sugars they are immediately absorbed from the small bowel and the small bowel actually thrives with bacteria which are which just need sugar so they keep multiplying and you don't have the healthy bacteria in your gut so suppose you were to take a lot of fibers so if we were to take a lot of fibers they do two things one they mechanically displace the colony of these bacteria two they line up the intestinal level in such a manner that what even if you take sugar after that that sugar is not going to give rise to or potentiate the growth of negative bacteria so this is what is the story behind what happens so when something like this is happening a lot of fat is getting accumulated when the fat is getting accumulated as i said it has what is called peripheral uh, aromatase aromatase is an enzyme which converts the testosterone into estrogen and if you see these boys they will have breasts they will look like uh, feminish breasts and uh, they will have small external genitalia the hair growth around the genitalia which is the pubic hair is of the feminine type which is less no the hair growth in feminine type is an inverted triangle in a male type it is the upright triangle that's the pubic oh, hair. hair so that is how the pubic hair is supposed to be 
you're basically biologically turning your body more feminine that's right by giving in to your craving to eat sugar as much sugar. as you do so anyone who is overweight and this i've seen with anyone struggling with weight issues across there are two major culprits in india one is anything sweet i mostly when you're talking about cold drinks it's a lot of cold drink drinking why do you need that iced tea why do you need that juice with your food just have water the second issue that i have noticed in india is chakna you know salty snacks tea time snacks it's these two issues mainly in india with anyone even trying to lose weight but people need to understand the biology of not losing weight to get scared because i personally woke up when my body scared me that hey you know this is the kind of physical pain you'll go through if you don't take care of yourself but i feel this kind of pain is even worse it's psychological pain that's right so these people get withdrawn they don't go to play because they cannot run so everybody and especially the boys as you say if they compare their phallus with each other they would find then then they'll make fun of him so this guy becomes more and more introvert and when he is introvert and he is getting depressed he eats more the sugar craving increases the chocolates is the easiest ones to have or whatever snacks you lay hand at so this is a vicious cycle the testosterone which is being produced so he becomes stunted the height becomes small the weight increases the insulin requirement increases insulin increases the diabetes and other things they come into play the fatty liver happens the injury to the liver happens because there's inflammation and the root causes accumulation of fuel called uh, sugar and suppression of testosterone so if you need to reverse this process the first step is of course you cut down on sugar sugar is the first thing to go and the second is exercise and as i said these people will not be able to get up in the morning to start exercising but you tell them to at least start walking and they would today in the era of bariatric surgery a lot of people will be subjected to bariatric surgery and many of them will stay slim many of them will come back if they are not motivated enough because sugar is sugar so they start sipping it if they can't eat it so the issue is testosterone with sugar metabolism is totally linked fat and sugar metabolism is linked with testosterone it's not many people understand so suppose you do a testosterone level on this boy who is a plump uh, maybe in his teenage you will find the testosterone to be low it is low for two reasons one the lhr is a luteinizing hormone releasing hormone also is not effective to push the testosterone testes become remain small and some people will call it as delayed puberty also Hmm. but the idea is that whatever be the cause that needs to be reversed and the best way is the diet high fiber diet and exercise these are the two things that happen the third is the diurnal variation the circadian rhythm if they don't follow circadian rhythm like sleep early wake up early so i will tell you why i keep talking about that so there is a term in hindi nishachar nisha me aacharan karne wale which means the nocturnals those who live at night suppose we have bats who are supposed to live at night open their eyes at night and you 
capture a bat and put him on sunlight, then you are torturing him. Humans are not nocturnals. Humans are not supposed to be waking up at sunset. They are supposed to go off to sleep. So if your body is waking up during this night, you are awake during the night, your body is crying for help, like a bat is crying for help during the day, mm. which we all ignore because we have flashlights, we have LEDs, we have everything, we create light, but our hypothalamus cannot be fooled. And we get into troubles. The body is under stress. Even if we think we are enjoying a party or disco or maybe a game of uh, cards or billiards or whatever. So simply staying awake at night means your body is under tremendous stress. And stress reduces testosterone. Fair. So if you don't uh, follow circadian rhythm, your testosterone is going to fall anyway. I think this is also an infinite topic if you open up all the lifestyle factors and we've covered it, you know, on the show. Mm -hmm. What I actually want to talk about is something we've not covered on the show, which is masculine aging. Mm -hmm. um, I would redirect anyone who wants to know more about this topic about increasing testosterone to our past videos, which we'll link below. But this masculine aging thing, mm -hmm. which is the natural decrease of testosterone, this happens even to like the healthiest guys. And this is the kind of conversation I'm having with a lot of friends my age. In terms of we all watch cricket growing up, football. Why do players' performance start dipping at 30-35? It's effectively a decrease in testosterone which then leads to other physiological changes in your body. We had Murli Dharan on the show. And I was arguing that no, Kohli has at least 5-10 years left. He's like, no, you know, as a cricketer, your eyesight gets affected after a certain age. It's just the outcome of age. How Focus. are you able to see the ball? I would argue that it's one of many physiological changes that happen with age. But the base physiological change that happens in an active guy's body is a natural decrease in testosterone. I also want to talk about prostate and all that later. No, I will talk about it. Oh, it's linked to this? No, no. I'll talk of the what is called androgen deficiency in aging male. This is, is called ADAM. This is natural, right? This is natural. Uh, so, so talk about it starting from my age, 30. Yeah. So uh, we'll talk about what's it. happening in my body right now. So, so we have a person who has been exercising, who has been looking at his muscles. He has a certain testosterone. And slowly, because all of us are expected to get into our uh, routine work, which does not involve exercise, unfortunately, so what happens is that the testosterone, because as we have menopause in women, there is something called andropause in men. The only difference is that in menopause, you have a clinical sign of cessation of periods, whereas in men, there is no clear-cut sign and it is a gradual process. For example, what we believe is that illnesses, so you get into an injury. Suppose somebody, some boy gets into an injury at 30, he is bedridden for say 10 days, his muscles are not used for 10 days. His basal testosterone level falls. Then he goes for rehab. Everybody doesn't go for training as you see in certain movies where somebody has got a blade and is running and whatnot. Everybody goes back to work, office perhaps. So, so they don't bother. So suppose your testosterone was say 600 nanograms per ml. 
and you have been in bed for say 15 days because you had a fracture or you had a fever or typhoid or a viral illness which was prolonged or you're just burnt out because of work no i'm talking about a very specific thing injury to the body oh, okay. which reduces your physical activity fair okay so when your physical activity is reduced your testosterone consumption is reduced your basal testosterone level falls so your testosterone was 600 you get hit by a car you get into a hospital for 6 weeks when you wake up after when you get out of the hospital your basal testosterone is supposed say 400 then you start coming back to work you are not rehabilitating as a physical activity which but then you are good enough to go to office so you start going to good enough to go to office so testosterone may increase from say 450 from 400 to 450 it doesn't go to 600 so every single episode that occurs to us beyond 30 years of age brings down our testosterone to a level which is not recoverable so slowly suppose from 30 to 40 years in those 10 years you had five such episodes where you had to stop exercising your basal metabol your your basal testosterone today is 600 nanograms per ml but it will drop down to 400 simply because of these conditions snakes and ladders means the snakes yes which bring it down that's right here you may go back again but you will never reach there that is the issue what's a practical version of this matlab practically in what kind of career does someone keep getting injured or keep falling ill no no falling ill we all have like viral fever typhoid diarrhea so me any small the reason i'm asking that is i'm trying to understand this whole prevention is better than cure situation while there is no complete prevention here maybe one way to prevent the snakes and ladders snake situation happening is you work on your immunity yes so i'll talk about one more point here so suppose you had 600 you fell down you came out of the hospital at 400 if you consciously want your testosterone to go back to 600 how many of us know that we need to go back you will start exercising you will build up your muscle again you will look at your diet critically so in india what happens if you are sick they give you desi ghee hmm. which increases your fat which increases your decreases your ability to exercise because if you are running at 45 kg and now you are running at 60 kg you are adding 15 kg load to yourself your performance reduces your testosterone consumption reduces so your testosterone production reduces so if we were to get a lesson from this talk it is that if i get sick and i'm off my exercise for say 15 days i must make sure that i go back to my previous exercise level and understand that my stamina should be like that this is the least we should be doing despite this it will still decline there will be factors which will accelerate this decline like competition at work fight with your spouse problems with parent teacher meeting problem with the neighbor mm. all these things because you are thinking suppose you had a fight with your neighbor so the fight doesn't end because you're going to see him again tomorrow mm. so it gets recreated the stress gets recreated so you get into a circle of stress 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 this stress is the one that accelerates the decline of testosterone basically when your life is stressful there's mm. a steady decrease of testosterone 
so other than focusing on your immunity and your exercise and your diet try having a slightly stress free life know how to navigate through stressful situations because stress full situations cannot be avoided that's just how life is yeah. i think it's your reaction that you can like exactly so you modulate so so when i go back to my college and meet my friends whom i met in 1981 we are freshers we are being ragged by our seniors and four of us are together today we are now 18 year old boys hmm yeah that takes away the stress de stressor that's right stress mm. buster so that is what is stress buster mm. fair that is important for us family time that's right etc like all family the things that time cousins friends travel travel mm. these are all de stressing I-, i would argue again this is just my own experience like my meditation has helped me too much mm. like in terms of navigating through situations and changing my reactions to bad situations because in business there's just it's a stream of lafde like problems but to be able to detach yourself that from the life hmm so i mean i would argue meditation sound sleep so i'm coming back to if you were to ask me meditation i will talk of yoga yeah so what is meditation basically meditation is something that you want to take yourself away from the surroundings and get yourself within yourself they say you connect with parmatma that is different that's something which i will not talk of now we'll talk some other time but then if you have confined yourself that means you're taken away from your career from your neighbor from your fight anywhere else and you're able to compose yourself retract and compose yourself that is meditation so when you are doing this you are calming down the sympathetic activity and activating the parasympathetic and parasympathetic activity is good de-stressor but so what are these two so i will tell you so sympathetic is something where where you have fight or flight suppose you are going on a road and suddenly there is a dog or a wolf that attacks you so you have two options either to fight or fly so whether you fight or whether you run away and retract or save yourself the idea is to save yourself your stress that is the stress so that is adrenaline so that is the adrenaline rush so adrenaline rush is the sudden form cortisol is delayed form adrenaline comes like this and goes back and cortisol goes like this so it is fight or flight is adrenaline so your pulse increases it goes to maybe 120 your blood pressure increases the the blood is taken away from your intestine and is given to your muscles so bazu phadak rahe hain jisko bolte hain so the actually the blood is actually flowing from all the internal non significant organ at that time which becomes the stomach the intestine and the reproductive system the blood and the fat and it is all channelized towards your muscles and bones and brain so that is adrenaline and that causes the stress reaction parasympathetic is calming for example if you look at the pulse of 10 people in a class the same age same frame there'll be a person who would have a pulse rate normal pulse rate is 80 so there'll be a person who has a pulse rate of 90 so this guy is fidgety all the time and he's doing something or the other some mischief or somebody is doing a mischief to him or whatever or he's reacting to a mischief or something then there's a boy whose pulse rate is 50 and you look at him he's a basketball player 
he's a tennis player so what happens when you're playing your vagal tone increases so parasympathetic reduces the heart rate sympathetic increases the heart rate what is vagal tone vagus is the main nerve from brain it is a 10th cranial nerve which supplies the heart and other visceral organs and vagus is the harbinger of parasympathetic activity like the spine for your parasympathetic nervous system so coming to that because it runs parasympathetic chain runs from there there's a sympathetic chain then the parasympathetic plexus is are there and f- physically where is it physically it comes from here across here and goes into the heart and lungs and then into the uh, goes in deep into the abdomen into the stomach so uh, it has activity on the secretion of acid in the stomach it has an activity on the motility of the stomach and the what we call the pacemaker of the gastrointestinal tract fair to say it's responsible for the things that are not voluntary that's right okay. so sympathetic and parasympathetic part are the autonomic nervous system an autonomic nervous system normally we are not supposed to have a control on them but yogis in our uh, culture they are supposed to control the autonomic nervous system so autonomic means which cannot be controlled they are autonomous but if you happen to control them then you become a yogi and for example uh, autonomic would be all the heartbeat etc even that's happening because of your nervous system versus when you lift your arm this is your motor nerves but that signal to lift the arm is coming from your own brain so it is the involuntary activity going on inside your body wow. is autonomic which means that your brain doesn't control it your conscious brain doesn't control it your brain stem controls it so that is the autonomic nervous system and this is divided into sympathetic and parasympathetic sympathetic is related to fight or flight where your body is in a stressful zone which is actually most of the urban populations who are going about their work who are going about traffic who are getting into fights on the road the sympathetic is activated way too much advanced and here the angle is you need to actually activate your parasympathetic much more so the answer to mental stress is physical stress wow so if you see there are people who will go and bang their heads or whatever they what are they trying to do they are trying to find a solution how to reduce their stress or outburst what mm. we call so for example if you are angry you go and you have a swim you get calm down mm. or you go to you hit the gym you do 200 squats and then you are done mm. you get over it you come back and you say to hell with that fight yeah so the 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 answer to mental stress is physical stress now you look at parasympathetic and sympathetic so physical stress as i said the tennis player he a good tennis player professional tennis player they have a pulse rate of 35 40 which is extremely good and healthy for the heart and you know because they are physically active so their mental stress is supposed to be much less than what mental stress not while they're playing but their baseline mental they're usually contented if a swimmer you know when he comes back he done his swim and he knows yes i have done i have conquered what my target was enough to help with everybody else so that's how it works so sympathetic activity and parasympathetic activity so there are ways to control sympathetic parasympathetic activity and one of them is meditation the other is of course certain asanas for example bhujangasana mm. or tadasana 
And if you go back, what you just mentioned, the spine, the paraspinus, the core muscles of the spine. The spine is supposed to be erect because of four pillars of muscles around the paraspinous muscles. They're the anterior two and the posterior two paraspinal muscles. And the if you stretch the spine and divide the weight on this completely, it is actually de-stressing. Wow. Which is and why so a yoga session feels so relaxing. That's right. They start with Tadasana. Mm. Then they go to Bhujangasana, which is Cobra. Yeah. And then they have something like... Uh, Downward dog. Yeah. <laughs> which stretches your heel right yeah. up to your hand. Yeah. So these asanas and meditations were a yogic way of calming the human body, taking away the stress, reducing the sympathetic activity and remaining calm with the increase in parasympathetic activities. And this, if you have a parasympathetic activity which is high, then obviously uh, if you have a, you have more testosterone. Mm. So sympathetic activity is adrenaline and cortisol. Mm. Cortisol causes fat and suppresses testosterone. So they're all interlinked. I can link autonomic nervous system to testosterone. Gotcha. Hmm. Uh, I think we gave a very nice angle on a healthy way to age as a man. It's all the basics plus play a competitive sport ideally, but also try practicing your yoga and meditation. It physiologically will calm you down and therefore elongate the lifespan of your testosterone levels. Now, Let's talk about the invariable aspect of human life, which is post-age 50 and 60. Why are so many white men in America on Joe Rogan's podcast talking about testosterone replacement therapy? First question. Second question, should Indian men also be looking into it? Third question, I'm sure you've given TRT to some patients. Uh, not for treating a disease or something, but just because their testosterone levels are low. Should a guy like me who's healthy, also concerned with health, Consider TRT at age 50. And how do you go about it? So, TRT. So, we talk of various segments of men who require TRT. For example, I uh, talked about a couple where the husband and wife both are tennis players. The wife is still playing tennis. The husband has stopped playing tennis. His testosterone has come down. Now, should I give him testosterone? Because if I give him testosterone... It is going to suppress the follicle-stimulating hormone in the brain, which is going to suppress the spermatogenesis. So if I give him a shot of testosterone, his sperm counts drop to zero. Damn. And this couple is looking for a child. So you need to know when not to give testosterone. So testosterone, even though if you look at the lab, it will show a borderline testosterone. It doesn't mean that we have to give testosterone if they are looking for a baby. Suppose the same couple has had two children. You discuss it out with them. Do you need another child? Because if I give you a testosterone replacement, there are two issues. One, your testosterone production will cease for life. For example, if you keep having uh, McDonald's or something, your mother says, okay, I am shutting down the kitchen. Why the hell should I produce food? Similarly, if you keep having exogenous testosterone into the body, the endogenous testosterone, which is supposed to be produced by your body, is going to be shut down by the body computer called hypothalamus. Even if you do it once or a few times? Yes, it does hurt. 
it is reversible at your age it may not be reversible at 40 you mean if a 40 year old does trt once then he is signing up for it for life exactly that is why pharma companies hate me am okay because this is not the image of trt i had in my head at all no so i'm coming to trt again so one was this boy who wants to have a child the couple wants to have a child you should not give testosterone you have to tell them that if i give you testosterone your sperm count is going to go down you are not going to have a baby so you have to decide today even if you have to give up your job change your job you have to start doing these things like exercise respect to the circadian rhythm high fiber diet and meditation yoga sports competitive sports and certain dietary things like eggs onions uh, sea fish uh, seafood oysters these are the things which are which are supposed to be increasing testosterone and for veg people onions is good enough yeah onions okay. is good and high fiber basically so the lettuce and other things they they do increase testosterone so this is what i'll give to this couple but suppose there is a 45 year old person who comes to me with erectile dysfunction or whatever and i do a testosterone and it is low then i have to talk it out to him and i have to tell him look i can uh, give you testosterone but make sure that if it is today just below the borderline if i give you testosterone you will need it every time that i ask you because the duration changes from 3 weeks to 3 months whatever the dip of preparation we use or a daily preparation that we use then you will need it you your body will stop producing testosterone and i do not know if i stop giving you testosterone will it come back and start producing or not so in all probabilities when i start a testosterone it is for a lifetime contract with the pharmaceutical agent and per session how much does it cost so it is with difference there are gels there are capsules there are injections mm. now injections there are certain injections which are short lived injections so there are pure testosterone and uh, you give a 100 mg testosterone injection it goes to supra physiological levels so i will explain what is a physiological level suppose there is a physiological window the physiological window is between say 1200 nanograms to 300 nanograms so testosterone between 1200 and 300 is what is the ideal for a human body so if i give you a shot today the testosterone shoots to 1400 ml it hits very hard the hypothalamus and hypothalamus goes into shock stops producing luteinizing hormone releasing hormone pituitary goes into shock stops producing luteinizing hormone and the testes gets atrophied your balls will shrink that's right because you're shooting into the supra physiological levels so i don't like this but lot of people give it this is the easiest way i'm sorry i haven't taught anybody no but why are lot of people giving it to make money uh, no i will come to that but let me finish this sure. part you please ask that question sure. why are they giving so i need to choose a therapy that pushes the testosterone from say less than 300 to 400 500 so that it is in the physiological range it serves the purpose of the body and does not hit the hypothalamus so hard that it becomes irreversible so capsules gels 
because they are small doses. And then there are certain depot preparations. Depot preparations. So you have those injections. There are three milliliter injections given intramuscular once in three months, which is 12 weeks. So every 12 weeks, somebody has to take a shot. It is released very slowly because there's a depot. So it keeps releasing. So it does not cross the supraphysiological level. So if at all I need to give testosterone replacement, I will choose something which stays within the testosterone. The story of those shots that I talked about is somebody will come and say, I'm going for a weekend. So give me a shot. For a better erection. That's right. But unfortunately, that's not true. That's a placebo. So how does testosterone affect erections? So I'll give you an example. So you have a hand pump at home and you hand pump has some washers and you need to service those parts and you put to oil to those parts. So that is the maintenance fluid for the hand pump. So you do it every Sunday. I was made to do that by my mother. So I used to do oil my valves of the hand pump every Sunday. And then you stop doing it. So what happens? It still works. On Monday, it still works. It keeps on working till after six months, it breaks down because of lack of testosterone or the maintenance fluids. Similarly, the erections. Erections require a maintenance fluid called testosterone. So if you give testosterone today, it is not, it is not going to maintain it today. It is not Viagra, mm. which is a different drug, which is supposed to be used for this. So you give a shot of testosterone, it does nothing to the erection. So for erection, that means if the erection is because of lack of testosterone, it will take that much time to recover if you give testosterone. So it is a maintenance fluid. So why, give, why people give testosterone uh, like this is anybody's guess. But that is a kind of custom. A lot of people do it. A lot of people will go to the doctor and say, Friday evening, okay, give me a shot. I'm going to Goa with my friend or something. But that is actually a disservice because if that shot is going to cause supraphysiological level of testosterone and going to hit the hypothalamus so hard that it is going to stop producing your endogenous testosterone. That is more about testosterone. Two questions from a consumer perspective. First question is the price, hmm. like for a good quality TRT therapy. Second question is, I'm assuming that this good quality TRT therapy is all about this art of reshuffling the hormones which only a doctor like yourself would know so never try doing trt yourself as a baseline never but even amongst medical professionals how do you know which doctor is giving you the right kind of trt i am assuming the answer is experience yes it is about you know unfortunately i'm i try to tell everybody not to use as much trt as is available because of the single reason that if the single risk is that if I give TRT, your body stops producing TRT. Therefore, try to avoid as much as possible. Having said that, there will be situations where you will require it. The cheapest is an injection that you take once in three months. In the muscle. In the muscle. And that is uh, maybe four or five thousand rupees oh, in okay. three months. Okay, that's 
pretty that's not very bad as compared to there are certain capsules which you have to take morning evening with a meal or the gel every day that actually seems to be little cost turns out to be little costlier than this and those shots that i talked about the simple plain testosterone which are not dipper preparations they would uh, actually have uh, a little less cost than this but the risk is more because they shoot the physiological levels coming down to who should be giving it yes there are experts who should be giving it but experts who understand that i'm giving it with you know giving testosterone trt starting trt is 10% of treatment 90% is education that i just talked about which is movement exercise food circadian rhythm i will refuse to give you testosterone next time if you don't do that Damn. that's what i should do okay the way my life is going i take care of myself all that all these factors are ticked do you think i'll need trt at some point no even when mm. i'm 60 no then why is this a culture in the west because it is a shortcut because they're not taking care of their lifestyle because there is so much of industry pressure i feel the pharma industry is much more active there than here yes right yes like it, they, they call it a pill oriented culture and i love joe rogan like he's my idol as a podcaster if he's talking about something it sits in my head in terms of this guy is like 50 55 years old he's talking so much about trt kuch to hoga now here we have a doctor telling us that no that's not how life should be so yes. first of all you've retaught me something so thank you because i was under the assumption that i'll have to do trt at like 50 50 no never so rather it's a curse it's a curse i'm making a recurrent deposit scheme for myself mm. so it's a pharma company pro. no no the pharma company puts it on the market and obviously for the interest of pharma companies to sell it it's a good molecule where it is required but it has to be used judiciously mm so i need to use it judiciously so when when pharma company called me because they thought i was an expert on testosterone and i started talking like this they said man what are you doing i mm. said this is the truth mm. right so i will tell you who requires testosterone for example uh, there is this guy who's your age he's a senior executive somewhere and has a good happy life so he's got a raise he's got a bonus and he goes home and he finds certain kids playing around his house so he, he puts his hand in his pocket brings out some sweets chocolates or something and says oh enjoy the same scenario there's a 58 year old person coming from work and he's grumpy and he's roly poly and he looks at those kids and says Oh my god what the hell are you doing haven't you got any other place to play it's Irrit- only my house irritability irritability so this guy is irritable he's grumpy he is the man perhaps who has to be evaluated for low testosterone so why why can't he just live with low testosterone will there be physiological problems later yes there will be so the cause and effect are related so what caused the low testosterone is what we need to understand so his lifestyle 
he's not sleeping on time he's got physical stress uh, mental stress he's not doing enough physical stress he's eating uh, something which he shouldn't be eating because you know that's how things are so imagine a roly poly guy moving like this and is barely able to breathe he's overweight and uh, and he is irritable he does not take um, you know he is not able to handle stress crisis so mismanagement of crisis cognitive disorder that he forgets that okay uh, i will whether i was did i lock my door or not or where have i kept the key or did i pick up my phone from my table or not because he forgets and he is not oriented so he will say okay i think i was going towards the market no i was going towards the temple so he's indecisive so indecisiveness is it a way of saying that low testosterone levels are linked to early onset dementia exactly so like you so all these your, things i you lose your mind if you don't take care of your balls yes exactly and you'll take care of your balls by fixing your lifestyle and your body yes so i will tell you as you i've just given you a scenario where the person has lost his testosterone and i'm talking about a boy now so you know there used to be a boy in our college who would go on a motorcycle with speed of 100 without a helmet and we would be oh my god what a macho and now my son says i want to do it i say ah, shut up don't do it <laughs> so what is it i have matured he has testosterone so cost of maturity is loss of testosterone <laughs> <laughs> so these are related you know you have to understand so i can if i have that much of drive in testosterone maybe i would also do something foolish like that gotcha so again bottom line is for this whole testosterone conversation take care of your body mm-hmm. and your diet mm-hmm. do the right things which you guys already know mm-hmm. and maybe if you're dealing with certain symptoms that so spoke about in your 40s 50s or if you're dealing with legitimate biological erectile dysfunction then you go to a urologist you go to an endologist who'll help you kind of balance out your testosterone levels first and foremost through lifestyle and then through therapy like ERT Yes. Anything else you'd like to add as a bottom line? So the point is that if you don't use it, you will lose it. Fair. So keep using it. Okay. Now, another one of my questions. This is a whole new segment. Uh, I want to know about the prostate. Hmm. What is it? Why? What is its function? Why do so many old men all over the world have to get it removed? How much does it hurt to get it removed? How much does it hurt to get it checked? Give me like a one on one on all these things. So let us talk bit by bit. The first thing is, prostate is a small organ like the size of a walnut, and it is situated between the reservoir, which is the urinary bladder, and the conduit, which is called urethra. So there is a reservoir, which is urinary bladder, and there is an exit, which is urethra, and prostate is around. this urethra so if you see a pair and there is a central core so the central core is the tube through which the urine passes and the pair is actually the prostate so imagine that there is a bladder and there is a urinary passage passing through the prostate and the role of prostate is to produce semen 
Now, semen is different from sperms. Sperms come from testes. Semen is the fluid in which the sperms thrive because they need a medium to be carried to their work. So, semen, the seminal fluid, which is maybe 2 to 5 milliliter every ejaculate, is being produced by glands within the prostate. Swimming pool water. That's right. That is the medium through which the sperms move. So, it is controlled by testosterone. It's a male organ, so it is controlled by testosterone. And slowly, over the period, over the fourth decade or so, there are changes in the hormones. There's a balance between the estrogen and the, in the testosterone. That ratio slowly starts changing as you start accumulating fat and the peripheral aromatase comes into picture. And something goes wrong with the proliferation of cells within the prostate and it starts proliferating. It starts proliferating and imagine there is a, there is a kind of an organ through which the urinary passage is passing. And this organ decides to increase in size. So if it increases in size, there are two options. If the outer shell is elastic, it will expand like this. If the outer shell is tight, it will compress the passage. So it hurts while peeing? No. So the person has frequent desire to pass urine. He has urgency so that when he is sitting here, he has a desire to pass urine. Before he reaches the washroom, he leaks. Oh my God. Then he reaches there, he starts to pass urine and he realizes he is not able to start the stream. Even after some time when he starts the stream, he takes longer to evacuate. Towards the end, it is a dribble. He keeps waiting. He then gets up and zips his symbol. He is trying to come back. He has again a desire to pass urine. So he goes back again. So there is a sense of incomplete evacuation. So there's a frequency, urgency, prolonged stream, delayed stream, broken stream, and sense of incomplete evacuation. Does this happen to all guys? No. Fortunately not. Why does it happen so, to so many though? Yeah. So there is some familial transmission of this. So all men will have some we call it benign hyperplasia of prostate or BPH. So all men beyond 40 years of age will have some BPH changes. If you do autopsy of these men, you'll find that histologically or under microscope, you look at those tissues, there will be BPH. But that is histological BPH. That is not clinical BPH, means it does not give symptoms. So not all people who have an enlarged prostate will get symptoms. For example, what is histological? Histological means what we see under the microscope. Okay. Which is not available to the naked eye. That's right. And, and or feelings. Yes. So That's you right. don't know, but that is a topsy. So for example, there are patients who will come to us with a prostate gland. Normal prostate gland is 20 grams. So I often get a call at 10 o'clock from somebody who gets my number and says, Doc, I've got into trouble. I'm just 45 and my executive health checkup told me that my prostate is enlarged. I want to see you tomorrow morning. So I said, how can I do that? So how much is the prostate? Is this 25 grams? Now, the normal value which has been designated by the ultrasound is 20 grams. But you have a 25 gram prostate, which means that that's okay. It is growing. 
but is it causing you trouble that is where we need to understand that it may it should not cause trouble if it is not causing trouble let it be because it is then those one of those prostates where the capsule is too elastic and the increased volume is being taken by stretching of the capsule so there will be men who would have 200 grams prostate without an issue couple of questions one you have to do prostate examinations regularly doesn't it hurt doesn't hurt the guy with the bum so if it hurts the patient the fault lies with the doctor really yes technique technique what is the technique the technique is you have to explain make the patient comfortable there is a muscle that is very tight you have to allow it to relax which is naturally loose but when you're nervous it becomes tight exactly hmm. so if i'm trying to push my finger through that door i'm hurting him hmm you lubricate it well keep talking to him distract him and slowly and there is a way you don't put it like this you put slowly like a thief you enter nobody knows that you've entered that is a trick so there is a lot of variation individual variation so many patients will come and tell me i won't like to get it done but once it is done they say oh is it done last time i had so much of pain so they have a bad experience but then it's an individual training it should not hurt at all and if it is hurting it is the problem of the doctor who has done it now why do we need to do that test we need to do that test because we are looking whether there is an enlargement of prostate or not if your person comes to me with the symptoms i want to see if the prostatic enlargement is the cause of symptoms so i do that examination but today we have ultrasounds so i simply ask for ultrasound ultrasound gives me not only the weight volume also gives me the shape and then i know okay and the effect of prostatic obstruction on the bladder trabeculations or cystitis whatever they call it so you have ultrasound which can tell you that yes prostate is enlarged then why do you need to do put, put in a finger why does one need to put in a finger one was to ascertain that the prostate is enlarged which we do now with ultrasound the second was to exclude cancer you can tell from the touch that's right my Ow. finger is very sensitive to pick up a cancer but the problem is now that we have two tests called psa a blood test called prostate specific antigen and an mri so if a person comes to me with a normal psa i don't have to do a rectal examination to say that you have cancer or not because the psa is normal so i have to watch him if the psa starts rising if there is a serial psa rise then i know there may be a cancer that is the time when i will touch it and see if there is a cancer that i can feel or not if i can feel a cancer i order a biopsy if i don't feel a cancer i order an mri what does a cancer feel like hard like a stone there like that's a so normal prostate is like the uh, tip of your nose like soft that's right firm we call it firm got it soft will be this this is firm so if there is a nodule there is a like a like a stone stuck there or a pearl stuck there so you feel and suddenly there is a pearl so you know yes this this is a cancer this could be a cancer so we are able to do it but then now today when we have a psa which is high we can do an mri and mri can tell us whether there is cancer or not 
to this if we are still in doubt we should still look at it then we should do still look at it and see okay if i can feel it or i cannot feel it because i have to take a biopsy sure then another reason why i should put in a finger is when there is a diagnosed case of cancer of prostate and i need to do a robotic surgery i need to feel the prostate and see whether it is stuck to the rectum or not will i be able to remove this prostate can i find a plane between the prostate and the rectum will i be able to safely remove the prostate and not hurt the rectum so all that information a surgeon will get only when he feels the prostate so these are the now they are very far and few in between as compared to what it was 25 years ago sometimes in the middle of recording an episode as heavy as this i just know that it's time to stop this particular episode this is one of those moments because this is a lot of dense information and i think this particular episode was simply about like lifestyle factors testosterone you know common problems like this performance anxiety situation and uh, understanding the penis a little bit more understanding a man's manhood a little bit more uh first of all thank you sir very educative but uh, secondly we have to talk a lot more so <laughs> <laughs> we will be back very soon guys i'm sorry i'm ending the episode here i just wanted you guys to get basic education here and in the next episode we'll talk about robotic surgery uh, different kinds of surgeries related to uh, man's genitalia yes uh, but i hope you had fun on this first recording of course of course it's always a pleasure do you think we were able to convey some important education yes important because i stress that testosterone replacement shouldn't be done well that's your bottom line from this whole episode and shouldn't be used injudiciously like you know weekend injection or something like that because that's going to hurt gotcha and of course uh, regarding the erectile dysfunction the partner plays a lot of role mm like there are shortcuts like putting an implant or giving viagra most important thing is to get the person at ease yeah i think so most of this episode was just about the natural state of the penis we'll talk about alterations and all that in the next one tailoring so, there is a tailoring <laughs> angle so those ads on porn sites are real like you can do certain procedures they are not good <laughs> they're not good they're not good. more on this in the next one uh, stay good. tuned everybody this was only part 1 of our epic conversation with dr rt part 2 is a lot more about penis related surgeries and more extended versions of the same topics we spoke about in this particular episode so make sure you watch out for part 2 and until then make sure you check out all the other medical and health oriented podcasts that we've been releasing on TRS very recently we're all about unleashing that biology onto the audiences Thank you for supporting. Thank you for listening in. TRS and the whole team will be back very very soon.